Best. Why is it worth doing your best? Let's get real for a second. If what you're after is super competitive, and it probably is if you're dreaming big, then you need to give it your all. And here's why. If you're not already winning yet, your best as it stands right now might be good enough to compete with someone else's worst or mediocre or a slip up. But that's on the comparison game. And while comparison might be a metric of progress, it should not be a metric of worth. You set a new bar for yourself when you do your best work. This anecdote is not meant to discourage you. It's tough to do your best. It's a hard road, anything worth doing. But when you see a success, you achieve something. Love the ladder rank. Love that place that you're at because it's going to get you to the next thing. You have to have steps in a ladder or else it's just you stuck at the bottom, looking up at a height that's barely in your sights. You know where you're aiming, but you don't have any practical steps to getting there. The steps you take are what get you higher, but each step has to be the highest you've climbed, the best you've done. It's worth it if you want it. This episode has a lot to do with pivoting, changing direction. But before we get to that, let's talk about one reason not to pivot, discouragement. See, it's easy to get discouraged, but we should break apart the reasons why we get discouraged. Remember that thing from earlier, comparison? Not just comparison, but comparison to ridiculous standards, to hype, to things that are not only far beyond our control, but are completely irrelevant to actual validation. Think about so many people that were great at what they did many years ago. They were crazy enough to write amazing works with no recognition. They didn't get six-figure brand deals because they wrote Canon in D. They simply got to live a life that was better than most people in their day, but nothing worth posting on Instagram today. Y'all, we so often reframe our best work in terms of other people, but we know. We know when we did our best and when we really gave it all we had. And despite not being perfect or, I mean, let's be real, what does perfect mean? Is perfect to us just the image of who we would want to be in a perfect world? If we could just snap our fingers and be the person we wanted today, what is our perfect and why? When you really do your best, and get this, your best isn't perfect. You are a flawed human being, and art is beautiful because of its imperfections. You know the difference. You know the difference between laziness and subtle imperfection. So go do your best. Hello everyone. Okay, super quick introduction to episode three. There's a lot of great content, so I don't want to waste any more time. Yes, today is another Alex. I promise we have some name diversity in future episodes, but Alex Sherman is my guest today. He's got a great story and ultimately shows us when it's okay to pivot. It's a difficult thing to discuss among ambitious people, but it's a conversation I don't believe has had enough. So without further ado, here's episode three of Crazy Enough.
All right, so today on Crazy Enough, I've got a good friend of mine here. His name's Alex Sherman. Uh, we met in college. Alex is a good friend of mine, has been through a lot in life, a lot of cool pursuits, a very talented individual. Um, and I think he's somebody that has a great story that a lot of us can learn from, a lot of us can get some insight from. I know there's been points in my life where uh, I've kind of held on to things Alex has said, whether he knew that or not. Um, Specifically, when it when we talk about the idea of pursuing something that you love, something that you're creative in, something that you're good at, and deciding when the point comes that you no longer think something is worth it to you because your priorities have changed and being okay with that, I think that was a big lesson in my life. And so I want to talk to him about his story, but without further ado, um, <laughs> hello, Alex. Hey. Great to be here. Great to be here as well. It's your house, so I would assume you would enjoy being here. Yes, uh, it that's is a good a, place. Uh, place to, I spend much time. So let's get into it. I would love for you to tell us just kind of a little bit about yourself, um, just briefly about your background, where you're from. Cool. Um, my background is I'm also a fellow musician. I'm sure there's going to be a bunch of us on here um, that have that kind of background, but specifically, I've played the drums since I was five. Um, grew up through church, picking up instruments as I go. I play all the woodwinds. I play guitar, bass, piano. Um, so that is my creative background is on the music side. As far as I'm where I'm from, you know, I moved around a whole bunch growing up. I was born in Atlanta, um, lived in Texas, grew up there for a while, lived in Phoenix, lived in Seattle. Um, Joey, you and I met at DBU where we both graduated. DBU, yes, indeed. Yeah. Dallas, Texas. Mm-hmm. Um, and then spent some time in Los Angeles, spent some more time in Phoenix, and then worked my way back here to Sherman, Texas, where I tell people I own the town. I mean, it's for all, you know, I mean, we don't have any proof otherwise, so it's <laughs> yeah. a good assumption to make. Um, so I want to start kind of with your journey into college. Um, mm -hmm. I feel like that's where a lot of us kind of, you know, figure out what we want to do. Yeah. It's where we get a chance to really pursue what we're interested in, um, to really start in that discovery phase of what mm -hmm. we're, you know, what we're good at, what we're interested in, how we want to kind of live the rest of our lives. It's a very pivotal time, even if you're not in college. I think that age is is where a lot of us find that. Um, so I want to start here just because this, this always fascinates me because um, I know it's a different for a lot of people, but what, what made you go to college? Was it something that you always wanted to do? Is it a thing that kind of was a product of pressure around you? That's a good question. Um, for me, it was definitely pressure. Um, I was raised in a family that um, both my parents went to college. Um, both of them were the first members of their family to go to college. So came from kind of an impoverished background, but pulled themselves up through education and hard work. Um, so it was instilled, I have an older sister, um, it was instilled in the two of us that you know the expectation was we would go to college. We didn't really have a choice. Is it something you may not have done? Uh, I'd lean probably 60% would not have done it um, if I didn't have the external pressure to make okay. me do it. Um, and if I had it my way, the other 40% that said I would do it, I would have had a different major at a different school. Um, so I ended up graduate. I started college up in Seattle. Um, they have a pretty unique, or at the time, they had a unique program that allowed you to get dual credit, but instead of college professors coming to you, you went to college. And the professors don't know that you're a high school kid. The students don't know you're a high school kid. Mm -hmm. um, for all intents and purposes, they think you're just like them. Um, so that's where I started college up there um, when I was 15. So um, gets all the junk out of the way that no one really wants to learn. A lot sure. of creative people that don't want to deal with. You got to do the same stuff in high school. So it just worked out really well for me that you know I would have been doing the same thing sitting in one building versus another. Mm -hmm. um, but... 
graduating from DBU, my undergraduate degree is uh, music business with an emphasis in studio engineering. Did you, when you started at DBU, is that what you wanted to do? Yes. So that was actually when I was taking classes up in Seattle, I was already working with the professors from DBU to make sure that my credits would transfer. Mm, Um, So I was specifically selecting classes that I knew I would get credit for. That way I didn't waste my time um, with any kind of overlap and I could get kind of the best bang for my buck before I came down. Sure. Um, The reason I went to DBU is I went on, they had a five-year, still have that five-year program that allows you to move on and get your uh, Master of Business Administration in your fifth year of study there. Um, And the reason I did that was it was actually a culmination, again, outside pressure. Um, My dad helped me pay for some college, um, and his offer was only on the table if I did something very specific. Mm. Um, And my mom was actually the one that found the program at DBU that blended the two. Mm. He wanted me to have a business background. I wanted to have the music background. Yeah. Um, Kind of the best of both worlds. So uh, that was the deal that I made with him was that I would go to school there, um, continue on to get my master's, and he would um, help pay for the undergrad side so that I could get the music degree. Gotcha. Your experience in college, um, Mm -hmm. what are some of the things that you feel like, you know, you're better because of things that you, you know, you wouldn't trade at this point for anything um, and some things you may want to change? I think those are all good questions. I definitely think um, the most value that I derived from it was just the relationships. You know, I'm sure that that's something that a lot of people would say. Um, specifically in that kind of uh, micro bubble of the college that we went to. Um, You know, everyone runs in circles no matter where you go, but for the most part, you genuinely made some lifelong friends that you're always going to keep up with um, and continue to learn with and continue to grow with and kind of share in that life's journey. I think that's one of the best things that I got from it outside of having a solid education. Sure. Um, I definitely place more value on education now than I would have going into college. Mm. So that's something else that I learned is that it is, it didn't seem important then. It's definitely much more important now and not so in the stance of, I have a piece of paper with letters on it that say I did something, but it's more the intangibles that it teaches you while you're there. Sure. Um, things like, you know, discipline, organization, whether it's the full embrace of those or the lack of, which would make you aware that at some point you're going to need it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, it doesn't matter that I was, we passed world literature. Like I, I'm yeah. pretty sure that I've never used world literature or anything <laughs> I learned in that class for anything, but, um, the structure and how you go about writing things and how you go about doing different things, that's kind of, you got to look for the bright side on it. Um, so there are some intangibles that you take from it. Anything that I would change, that I don't think there is. Um, I didn't think about it all that much mm-hmm. as far as being in it. You know, outside of the small school atmosphere with a lot of rules, that was something that I uh, tend to go the opposite direction of the majority of the time. Um, but even through that, that's where you kind of find the other people that are like-minded with you in that, and you kind of mm-hmm. grow closer to them that you wouldn't have in you know just a completely open do kind of whatever you want atmosphere. Sure. I think it's funny to think the saying people say you can't put a price tag on it for all those intangibles, if you will, the Mm -hmm. things that you get out of an experience like college, something that is so core to your development. I would say the same for me. A lot of the things I got out of it are things I couldn't put a price tag on, um, Mm -hmm. even though I had to stare at that price tag pretty often about (laughs) how you still stare at it. (laughs) It's a a big number. Um, Uh And I think that's the sentiment I hear from a lot of creatives nowadays is 
you know, if you can, if you can go to college and you can get most of it or all of it paid for, um, in some way, or you're not putting yourself in a bad financial place doing mm. it, then do it. You know, why not? Right. Like you can probably get a lot out of it, especially if you go to the right place and you're around the right people. Um, but if not, if it's going to be something that, that handicaps you, especially in those pivotal years out of college, maybe think about doing something else, you know, put that, put that money in another place. Right. Uh, would you do it again? That is a hard question to answer. Uh, yeah, I think I would. Um, meaning, and I'll answer it from the perspective of if I was going into it again, knowing what I know now, absolutely. Yes, I'd do it again. Um, if I had to go back to do it again for something else, having already done it, I don't know that I would. Sure. Uh, we'll talk about music for a minute. Cause I know that's definitely, that's always been a core part of, mm-hmm. you know, yourself and um, your pursuits. At what point did you realize, you know, in college, so we worked just for some context, we worked together in the DB recording studio mm-hmm. for a little bit, got to spend a lot of time in there. I know mm-hmm. that's one of my biggest takeaways from my time in college. I think it was just so valuable to me to, to be in that environment so right. often, uh, to be forced to be creative, to work on other projects that I didn't, mm-hmm. wouldn't normally have done. So I know that was pivotal for me, uh, but in your time there, you know, was there a point where you kind of realized, hey, I'm good at this? I think so. Um, definitely as you go through your recording classes, you know, you're in, it is a smaller niche and being a smaller school with less uh, like-minded people as far as an engineering background. There's a lot of songwriters and a lot of um, you know, worship leaders and a lot of just different creatives, but the engineering background is a little bit more, like it's a lot more thought that goes into it. Sure. It's equally creative, but from a different yeah, yeah. perspective. There's a lot of logic right. involved. Like, exactly. Yeah, it's like there's a lot of uh, brain power, but also right. creativity. Yeah, so um, through that, you know, just kind of as you're walking through classes, how quickly you pick up things, the feedback that you get from professors or your classmates and like, hey, man, come listen to this. What do you think? Give me some feedback. And then talking through, well, why'd you do it that way? And you're like, I don't know, because I thought that would be a good way to do it. Mm-hmm. Does it sound good? Yeah, it sounds great. Awesome. Yeah, then I'll great. probably do yeah, that yeah. again. Um, things like that. Uh, just kind of as you go through it, start getting a knack for it. And then um, specifically as other students and other like classmates are asking you to work on stuff with them, that's when you kind of start figuring out, okay, I'm, I'm a little bit different than some that are in this that actually have a pretty good shot mm. at uh, going through it. When you look back at the people you were around, and I, not to get specific about people, but mm-hmm. um, did you ever get the feeling that you could kind of see the path some people would take? Yeah, um, and I think that's one of the beautiful things of a lot of the people that uh, taught us is that they came from a bunch of different backgrounds and kind of explained how they got to where they were, um, as well as providing opportunity to say, hey, if this is the kind of thing that you're looking to do, this is the best way to do it. And I would honestly say I had probably less of that in college than I did post-college with some of the people that I worked Mm -hmm. with. Um, They were much more straightforward on specifically what are you trying to achieve. Once I know that, then they kind of guide you and say, well, here's the path that you have to take to get there. Right. Um, but outside of that, you know, in college, people kind of knew what they wanted to do. My, like, for example, my niche, I worked a lot with uh, female independent singer songwriters. So that was one thing that I knew that that was a strength of mine in working with that personality and that style of music um, and getting them into something that they would find value in and getting a good project out of it. Did you, like it because you were good at it or were you good at it because you liked it? Ooh. So I think there's two parts to that. Um, 
and for me, I, I, I went into it knowing that I was good at the studio performance side of it. Um, so I had a lot of experience as a studio drummer before going there and a lot of experience as the player from the engineering side. I didn't know anything and didn't have anything. So I think I kind of relied more so on the, Hey, I know I'm a really good studio drummer, um, and can hold down anything and keep up with the best of them. Um, while I kind of caught up with the engineering side. So I mm. think sure. the answer is kind of both, but kind for of different areas. To, that, to, yeah. to fulfill that almost. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think for a long time, that's kind of what I saw myself doing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think you you don't always look at the kind of the peripheral vision of what that can do for you later that maybe right. it has nothing to do with it. Right. I mean, I've, I even think about this, for example, like mm-hmm. just recording this here. Like uh-huh. <laughs> uh, the fact that I have spent thousands of hours engineering and right. dealing with live sound, I don't even think about this anymore. Right. It's just, it's just, but it's a means to me fulfilling something else. It's something that's opened my eyes lately as to, you know, not being closed off to other experiences or other mm-hmm. pursuits because I think in college it's, it's so easy to fall into the trap of being like, I've got to be good at this thing. I've got to just do that really, really well. Um, and there's no, there's nothing wrong with that, but I'd say by the same token, whether you're you're pursuing the business degree, right, and you're you're getting these other auxiliary experiences that mm. you know may or may not be something much more later right. down the road. You know that you at the time it's like you don't even know what's in the cards for you. That's maybe the thing I would change about college in the sense mm. of like you have this idea of a major, right? But it's like why can't we just try it all? Like try yeah. a lot of things and figure mm-hmm. out you know what am I good at? What do I love to do? Um, what could be a good experience that might help me later down the road? You know, right. A good talent to have. So you're in college. You're mm-hmm. kind of toward the, getting toward the end of your college career. Mm-hmm. Um, so tell me about your thought process as you're about to end college. You know, you're still you're working in the studio. You're right. doing music. Mm-hmm. Um, what's your thought process? Um, I was fortunate in that I had picked up you know three or four different consistent gigs through college. Um, so I was working for a different engineer very consistently. I played at a church that paid really well. Um, I had my own kind of list of musicians that I was working with and gigging with, both live and in the studio. Um, and then I'm always on call for studio gigs through you know various friends and engineers and other people in DFW. Um, so it was kind of just holding it down with that. Um, you know, I made more than enough to pay all my bills, and I was having a good time and playing with some really good music with some really good buddies. Um, so I wasn't thinking too far out of that until I sat in it for about a year. From that point on, it was everything was just the same. Um, mm-hmm. And I was ready to take the next step. And it just felt like it wasn't anything else that Dallas had to offer me that would get me there. Um, so I started looking for other opportunities. And that's actually what led to the move to LA. While I was in Dallas, Um, I did a job and this is, you know how this is, it's just music industry stuff, but I met a guy through a different gig that I was hired to do, um, that worked for another really well-known engineer, um, and a really, really well-known producer. Um, and just through happenstance, I was hired to be a roadie just to unload gear that they had rented. And then they were a man short and asked if I could run monitors. So Mm. naturally you say yes. Yeah. Um, so show up in LA. No, this is still in Dallas. Dallas, okay. Yeah, so this is before the move. Um, but through that job, um, you know, I just walked up to their main engineer and started talking to him. Um, I don't smoke, but anytime he went on a smoke break, I'd go and stand outside in the freezing mm-hmm. cold and just talk to him. Um, and he and I built a relationship over the course of the weekend. 
Um, and he told me if I was ever in LA, give him a shout, like he'll come out and say, Hey, and make sure that I meet some of the right people, mm. which I appreciated. So that was one thing. I had other friends playing shows in LA and I got hired to play bass in a, in a recording in LA. And, um, through that, just meeting different engineers, different, um, studio managers, different people, and just always asking like, Hey, I'm thinking about moving out here. Uh, here's kind of my background. Do you see a market for this? Like, is this something that you would find uh, LA needs? Um, and the most consistent feedback that I got was LA's got a lot of guitarists. They do not have a lot of good drummers. Hmm. Um, Interesting. Which was encouraging for me because it's kind of the, once you make that decision, all right, I'm going to move into the big music market, you got to pick Nashville or LA. I mean, hmm. it's, it's one of the two. Drum-wise, I knew if I went to Nashville, I'm going to get sat in a studio and I'm probably going to stay really busy, but I'm going to get handed a chart and told exactly what to hit and when, and then I can crush that, knock it out, and walk away. But I knew that that wasn't going to be as exciting as what I wanted. I wanted something a little bit more creative. What is the, what's the timeline that you're at here? How, how far out of college? So this is probably a little less than a year out of college. Um, you know, I started laying the groundwork as I met others from L.A., you know, within four to six months out of college. And I was doing the same thing with people in Nashville um, and had other contacts that had moved out to Nashville. Never took a trip out there to visit because I never really had anything that just kind of conveniently lined up. Um, but I did have that in LA. So it kind of, um, I actually remember the conversation very vividly. Um, I was talking to my dad, I was just catching up with him um, and on the phone and he's asking kind of how life's going and how the different projects are. And he's very, he's business minded. He's not the creative background. He doesn't understand it, doesn't, you know, necessarily appreciate it for what it's worth. He just very bluntly was like, what are you doing? I'm like, I mean, I'm doing the same stuff I told you I was doing last time and listed all the different gigs and stuff. And he's like, no, 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 but what are you doing? Mm. And I said, I don't know. And he's like, well, don't you think you should figure that out? And I was like, <laughs> Well, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, but he, he laid it out and he's like, you're young at the time I wasn't married. Um, he's like, you're not married. If you're going to do something, you might as well do it now. Mm. Um, and after that conversation, it was just like, okay, let's jump in. I'm going to move out to LA and see what happens. So I want to do a sidebar real quick on even just kind of moving. Mm -hmm. Um, you mentioned earlier that, you know, you've moved a lot of places. Right. So that was kind of already something you were used to. Right. And so I think there's a lot of people out there that are scared of even just moving mm -hmm. because there's comforts, there's people right. that they know they're comfortable with. Yeah. What would you say to that? You know, having moved mm -hmm. a handful of times, especially in pivotal years, right? what gets you over that? Or what's, what are the things that, you know, aren't as maybe a big deal as people think they are? Um, I think moving is not a big, as big a deal as people <laughs> okay, think. <laughs> <laughs> but in general, honestly, the blunt version is get over yourself. Like, what is it that is holding you back? For, like, there's no, yeah. the worst thing that happens is you move somewhere else. Yeah, yeah. Like it sucks to stay up. I'm pretty sure you've helped me move furniture before. <laughs> like it's not, you're always going to know someone or have a friend or, uh, you know, have some different place that you can call and get help in whatever mm -hmm. you're trying to do. So the physical aspect of it is negligible. It doesn't matter. Uh, the mental aspect of you will always make more friends. You will always meet more people. You will always be okay. Like there's nothing to mm -hmm. be afraid of in it. And if anything, you are so much more relatable to people the more you move. Because, you know, I've said my, I span from Atlanta to Seattle, you know, so I get both coasts, north, south. You think about that, 
that's a lot of the country that's covered. And there's a lot of people who have moved, maybe not as much as I have, but once or twice. You can all, Oregon is similar to Seattle. Anytime anyone says they're from Oregon, I say, I used to live in Seattle for a couple of years. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, you, yeah, yeah, you sure. get it. Like people from Texas, obviously Texans always find each other and love to meet another Texas no matter where you are. But just, it really is a get out of your head and get over it. Like mm. there is nothing to lose. You have nothing to lose. My In the back of my mind, everything could come crashing down. Everything that I got going for me now, everything that I've done could be all for nothing and I can go back and work at Walmart and be fine. Like, do I want to do that? No. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> but I know that if I had to move to Kentucky and work at Walmart, I could do that. If I had mm-hmm. to move somewhere else and do something else, I could do that. Like, it does not matter. You can do whatever you want. Yeah. Um, and it's not as big a deal as you think it is. So do you think maybe part of that is being attached maybe to a certain lifestyle or like, you know, maybe attached or not attached, like being able to change your baseline. Yeah, I definitely think so. It it comes down to choice. If you want to be attached to a lifestyle, then you will be. If you choose to say, well, I don't really need that. Like tiny homes are really hot right now and (laughs) off grid stuff is really hot. So I'm all like reading about that and all the green eco stuff. And the only thing that holds me back is that I own two drum sets, six guitars, (laughs) like a bunch of key, like all that junk that, Every time I'm like, oh, I could do it. And then I'm like, no, I really don't want to get rid of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Like it's a choice. Sure. So could I go and do that? Absolutely. But do I want to offset that lifestyle choice of, no, I feel better when I'm sitting in a room looking at the gear that I've acquired. Um, yeah. it, it is it is what you make it. So if you want to be stuck there, you can be stuck there. Just my biggest thing is don't complain about it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh-huh. Again, I think I think of a lot of people that, you know, they've lived one place their whole life. Mm-hmm. Um, and my biggest thing is be intentional about where you're at. It's right. like if you're, if you are going to live in the same place, great, like own it mm-hmm. and like keep growing and right. find ways to, to do other things. But the second you get stuck and mm-hmm. you start realizing like there's no more growth here, like 100%. there's no more anything, like you, you got to do something. Like you got to be in the right mindset to begin with. Just, right. just the physical move is not going to just do it for you. Right. You, you know, you have to still do the work. Mm-hmm. You have to still put in the work. But yeah, I found a new barber yesterday um, and talking to him. And he's, he's a young guy. He's young 20s, but he's only ever lived in Sherman, Texas. This is mm-hmm. where he's from. This is mm-hmm. where he's born and raised. But talking to him about it, he's like, yeah, I thought about moving other places. He's like, I just really like this community. I want to be here. Mm-hmm. He's like, there's not a lot of good barbers. Mm-hmm. He's like, that's something that I want to do. So I don't have anything against anyone yeah. who wants to live in the same place. But he's intentionally exactly, yeah, yeah. and it, it there is a big difference between that guy and then sitting around being like, I don't like my job, or I don't like where I live, or I don't like my friends, or anything like that, and not having the willingness to change mm-hmm. any of it because you can change whatever you want. Yeah. So you're thinking about moving to LA. Yep. You have these opportunities in front of you. Mm-hmm. You're also in a relationship. Yes. So how did that work, and how did it, you know how was it something <laughs> that? Um, how did that work? Well. That is a good question. Um, when it came to me, I was dating my girlfriend for three and a half years, something like that. We had been together for a while. Both of us knew that we kind of wanted to get married. We, we knew that we didn't want to be with anybody else. I also knew that I didn't want to have a long-distance relationship. Mm. The, what I did was on a Sunday, we went to lunch at Blue Goose Cantina in Plano. Good spot. Great spot. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> There it is again, uh-huh. by the way. <laughs> <laughs> just just have to throw this sidebar out there. Uh, Alex is one of the few people I know that is able to competitively agree with you. I <laughs> uh, just want to throw that out there. It's a, as you just uh, heard. I'm just um, saying, you need to be more excited. 
<laughs> All right. Uh, anyway, so you're, uh, you're at lunch. Yeah, so we're at lunch. We we talked about different things, and she she was in the mindset of like, hey, let's get married. Like, we're ready. What are we waiting on? And at the time, I lived in South Dallas in a really crummy neighborhood in a really not safe area, not somewhere that I wanted to bring uh, a woman that didn't have to be in that. I knew I didn't want to do distance, so this is not the phrasing that I used. I don't remember what I said. I'm sure she would say something different, but essentially it was like, hey, my lease is up in April. Uh, I figure I'll propose to you before then. Uh, then I'll move out to LA. Uh, then whenever you want to get married, I'll fly back and marry you. And then you can come out there with me. (laughs) Now that was pretty much it. And I remember her just sitting there and she like put down her taco that she had taken one bite of. And she got so mad at me that I brought that up before she was able to eat because she was like starving. And then just at that time, it was like, man, I hit her with a lot of stuff because it was essentially like, Hey, I'm going to propose to you and we get married or we're going to break up. Like Mm. that it's kind of a big swing. <laughs> yeah, that's a... Um, I just knew I wasn't going to be able to do long distance. I know me. I know I can't do that. I know that wouldn't work. Um, and I knew that's not what I wanted. I wanted to be able to be fully dedicated. And if she was on board, then she would be on board and there supporting me with it. Mm. Um, and she said yes, you know, to my amazement, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> but that's that's how that works. So she and I dated for a while, and then I think we were engaged for six or eight months while I had moved out to L.A., and I was looking for the apartment and places to stay and kind of getting settled um, while she was planning the wedding. And then pretty much just like that, I flew back. We got married, went on a honeymoon, and then she f- never went back to Texas until we moved back yeah. and went straight to California, and that, that kind of kicked off our, our lives there. So life in L.A., Obviously, mm-hmm. a little different than mm-hmm. South Dallas. Definitely. Um, <laughs> um, obviously, there's a lot of difficulties in a city like LA. Right. A city that's more expensive, mm-hmm. more people, mm-hmm. um, just more. There's just right. a lot of stuff going on there. So, talk me through like your progression and your pursuit of music there. Yeah. First thing that I did when I got there was every person who ever told me, hey, when you get to LA, call me, I called. Mm. Um, I had a list of a half dozen people that I felt really confident about to just say, like, hey, I'm here, let's meet up. And I won't go through any names or anything like that, but people that really had some high positions that took me around and showed me some really cool places and introduced me to people that are just way out of my league in the music industry to hang out and talk me through stuff and coach me up. It was pretty much just any contact that I had, I reached out to to try and get something going. Yeah. And then asked, they were all very intentional on asking me what I was trying to do. Yeah. Um, and at that point, I had decided I didn't want to go down the engineer path of being the, you know, you get the 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. shift or the 9 p.m. to 9 a.m. shift runner. And then you're just the, the grunt for, you know, yeah. three years before they let you turn a knob. And then when you turn that knob, then they'll give you two knobs. Like, I, I didn't want to do that. Um, so I went more the live side and the studio performance side. Um, and that's what I told them, you know, every, every one of my contacts and asked around like, Hey, who do you know that's looking for a drummer? What, what projects do you know that need drummers? And through that just met different people and picked up several different bands and projects that I started working with really consistently. And I picked up a cash job, like everybody's got to have in LA because of how, mm-hmm. how outrageously expensive it is. And my wife was working, so she had a full-time job. So between the two of us, you know, we were fine. Yeah. Um, but it was a, you work during the day and then, you know, kind of your 7 p.m. to 4 or 5 a.m. slot is your music time mm. um, where you're in the studio or hanging out with people and, and learning different things. So that's kind of how I picked up. 
one thing I want to hit on real quick when you're when you're in this process of reaching out to people, you know, these contacts you've built, mm-hmm. um, people you've met, or people that have said, you know, hit me up. Right? Did you was there any part of you that felt underqualified? Absolutely. I just took them at their word. You know, I'm the kind mm-hmm. of guy that if I, I'm not going to say anything, I don't mean. So I'm going to assume that if you say something to me, you mean it. So if we've met one time and you like me after one time enough to say, hey, call me if you're ever in town, Mm. then I'm going to trust that for whatever reason, I shouldn't put my own qualifications on if I should call you or not. If you Mm. said that it's a safe place for me to call you and be like, hey, man, what's up? You know, you can cuss me out or tell me you don't have time for me later. I don't care. But while that phone is ringing in the back of my mind, you know, you just tell yourself over and over and over again, like he said, call, he said, call, he said, call. And then that person may or may not pick up and you may or may not link up with yeah, them, yeah. but you, you never know. And I didn't want it to be on me for not calling. Sure. Even if, even if you're in a place where you think, you know, what do I have to offer? Or like, right. what if you, you know, you're not overthinking it. Yeah. You're not trying to like over analyze mm-hmm. what could this be or what could this not be? You're just mm-hmm. going to gonna go for it. Yeah. Yeah. One of the most impactful things from when I first got there, um, it was a, it was one of the bigger engineers that worked for a really well-known producer. Met up with him. He's like, hey, let's meet. Let's go to lunch. We went out to lunch and I tried to pay for him just as like a thank you for mm. even talking to me. And he was like, no, 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 no. You can pay me back when you get your first gig. And I was like, oh, that's like, it just felt so cool and so welcoming for yeah. someone from a high position. But that's kind of, that is one thing that I learned is a lot of these vets out there are very willing to share their experiences. It has less to do with talent and more to do with drive. Yeah. So like, even if you think you're not good enough, even if you think like you aren't qualified to be there, I think people that do this can read people really well. So mm. they know what they looked like when they were, you know, whatever age we are, whatever age you are when you're trying to do something and they can relate to that. So that's how much more willing they are to pour into you and help you out. Cause I think it's pretty easy to look back not only and see who helped you, but who didn't help you and what a difference that could have made. Mm. So I do think a lot of people carry, or at least I do, I try to always carry that forward in that what a, impact we can have on each other, specifically younger people that are coming up doing a similar thing to what we're doing. If we're just willing to spend some time with them and and coach them up or just even say like, Hey, you got this, don't worry about it or keep trying or you're right. That did suck, but you'll do it again and it'll suck a little less. Things like that have a lot of impact um, and really kind of help you out along the way. And I think you're just truly being as centered as you can, right. saying like, "This is what I have. This mm-hmm. is what I have to offer." And like, I appreciate that you would help me. Right. And like, I think I heard this the other day. It's like we need need. Yeah. If you if you come into a situation with everything, what do you, what are you going to get out of it? Mm-hmm. Like, if you even if you look like you have everything, mm-hmm. what what are people what are people going to want to give you? You know, if you right. don't need anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's a a good thing to highlight. You know, when it comes to people that are experienced or that mm. you could learn from. Yeah. And so as these things are going, you're getting gigs, you're mm-hmm. starting to like figure this out. Yeah. What path do you see forward at this point? A really, really negative one. <laughs> um, and this is, this is for me personal, and th- it comes down to values um, and not necessarily anything. I, like, I mean, specifically, what do you place value in? What mm. do you value? Yeah. What I valued at first moving out there was the high that you get from playing in front of a couple thousand people or mm. like the high that you get after going and sitting in a studio and then listening back to it and being like, man, that was one take and I just killed it. Like mm. that that felt so incredibly good. And the different people that you get to meet and when family is asking and you get to throw out names of people that you've met that are famous yeah, and yeah. they get to, you know, goo goo eye all over it and 
you know, that, that all felt really good. And that was my priority was I wanted to be the most well-known studio drummer in LA and be able to hang with any live performance band. That was kind of like my two goals when I was getting out there is Mm -hmm. I really wanted to be the standard for studio musicianship. And I wanted to be the guy specifically that nobody knew outside of really talented musicians and other drummers. Like, you know, 12 and 13-year-old kids like I was that knew just some random guy that nobody else knew, but some legend in the studio world. That was kind of my goal um, going into it, and that's where I found joy. As it went down, I found that I really enjoyed being a good husband and like the the dream of, you know, starting a family with my wife and just kind of looking around, you're looking at things and saying, man, I don't get to see my wife that much. If I'm working during the day and she's working during the day and then I'm up all night doing music, like I'm not really seeing her as much as I want to. We used to play this game. We did not live in a very nice area. We lived in North Hollywood um, off the like number one street for prostitution in LA. So Mm. like not... Not quite as violent as where we lived in, or where tacos, I lived in though, Dallas. Oh, that's for sure. Oh, good tacos! That taco van guy. Whew. I would I would bring him to Texas in a heartbeat. Um, but we lived in a not nice area, um, in an old rundown apartment, and uh, next to some neighborhoods. And we would play this game where we would walk around the neighborhood. And anytime there was a for sale sign, we would try and guess how much it cost. And I remember the first time we played. Uh, you know, it's some, it's, we're talking two bedroom, one bath house with no garage. That's like 800 square feet and a for sale sign. You can pull out an app to tell you how much it's worth. But you know, I remember my wife guessed 350,000 and I just start cracking up. I'm like, Oh, that's so low. That's ridiculous. You should know how expensive it is. I bet you it's 450,000. It was (laughs) $650,000. And this is what year? This is, uh, ballpark. Uh, 2015. This is 2015. Okay, gotcha. So walking around there, looking at it, you're like, well, hmm, I know how much money I make. I know how mm. much money we make. I know how much money I can potentially make. And we still can't afford this house. And this house sucks. Like we don't, we <laughs> yeah, don't yeah. even want this house. So just from a family planning standpoint, it's, you have to start looking around and saying, hmm, this, this isn't looking viable anymore. Mm. Um, and I got to say, I I met a lot of different people that were both in the music industry and out of the music industry that were willing to pour into me. And there was one guy in particular toured with a lot of really well-known bands in the 80s and 90s. Um, Really, really solid guy. And I was explaining to my dad what a drum tech was. We were sitting in a pizza place. I had mentioned how I was drum teching for somebody in Dallas, and he's like, what does that mean? (laughs) (laughs) So I was explaining it to him, and this other guy just walks up, and he's like, did you say drum tech? I was like, yeah. And he's like, oh, and then that just facilitated this whole discussion. And anyways, got to know him really well. But there's a very common underlying story of a lot of different musicians. It's not impossible to have a family in the music industry, but Mm -hmm. it's either going to be your first family or your second family. Mm. And the majority of the time, you're not going to have a family or it's going to be your second. At least the path I was on. And it's a lot of divorce um, on both sides. It's the guy on the road cheats, the wife gets pissed, they get divorced. Mm. It's guys, guy or gals on the road, and then the spouse at home cheats because they're gone all the time. And then there are kids involved. And then, well, who's got custody half the time and who doesn't? And these stories just kept piling up and piling up Mm. and piling up. 
and the whole ride, I'm getting less and less satisfaction out of being a good drummer. I'm getting less and less satisfaction out of playing with the next big name mm. person or being one step away from the next big whatever. And the whole time in the back of my mind, I'm like, man, this is just, it just didn't feel as good as it did when I went into it. Yeah. I had to do a lot, a lot of soul searching to say, and I remember you and I were sitting down uh, eating Mexican food, classic. Yeah. Um, and talking to you about it where it's just like my priorities are not the same anymore. Hmm. Like my ultimate goal of me coming out here and making my name known and being some big guy, I'm like, I don't care about having a name anymore as long as my wife is happy to see me when I get home. There are elements that I miss, obviously, now that I'm a little bit removed from that as far as a career standpoint. But the joy that I get out of coming home to a happy wife or not having to be gone all the time or tour or be on the road or anything like that far outweighs the loss of whatever good feeling you get after killing a studio session or somebody else telling you that they think they're you're really good, anything like that. So it is definitely a, a very difficult soul-searching thing, and I think a lot of the pressure is that you're looked at like you failed. Mm, absolutely. Um, because you know the people that you know from college or like people that we knew that, you know, knew who I was and knew what I did. And then knew I moved to LA and all of a sudden I come back after not talking to him for several years. If it's me, I know I'm just assuming like, oh, he couldn't cut it. Right. Um, and that's not true. You know, yes, no, absolutely not. But it's like, put it on a scale, the opinions of random people you never see Mm -hmm. versus like daily fulfillment and happiness in your life. hundred percent. And I heard a quote recently that was like in evaluating whatever your life's pursuits are, are they driving you closer to the ones you love Mm -hmm. or further? Yeah. And that always puts it in perspective. You know, I think a lot of us, especially creatives, ambitious types, perfectionist, whatever, Mm -hmm. you see a lot of potential, you see what you can achieve. Yep. And I've always been under the, you know, conviction that I can probably achieve a lot that I would set out to do. I could probably do a lot of things. Mm -hmm. I could probably make whatever money I wanted to make, but at what cost is that? Right. You know, what, what value of life am I going to have? I read this one thing that was saying, you know, they surveyed like X amount of people over 90 Mm -hmm. that were, you know, on their last leg. And, you know, they asked them what their biggest regret is in life. And not one of them said anything about money. Right. Not one of them said, I wish I made more money. Mm-hmm. Every single one said something to do with, I wish I spent more time with people I love. Or yeah. I wish I gave more to charity. I wish mm-hmm. I spent more time volunteering. Things like that. Um, things that we realize truly make an impact. Right. And it starts with the foundation. It starts with the loved ones around you. And it's not that ambition itself is bad, but what's the purpose? Right. What's the reason behind it? Uh, so I just, I, it's funny that you mentioned that conversation because that's kind of what I hit on in the beginning is really? that that's a, that's a conversation I remember mm. really well. Cause I was kind of in that process of deciding what am I pursuing in life? You know, right. what am I going after? I think I always having issues with being accepted earlier in life, mm. com- coming out of high school, starting college and finally right. finding like almost an abundance of acceptance where people were, you know, throwing compliments at me or throwing right. praise at me saying mm-hmm. like, Oh, you're so successful. You're doing this, this and that. And it's some of it was, True. Some of it wasn't. You know, it was just things right. people wanted to see in me. But getting my identity from that mm-hmm. is just not a good. It's just not a good thing. Right. It's not a good place. It's not healthy because it's it's all fluctuating. It doesn't have anything to do with you or your happiness, your fulfillment. But what's your own perspective? You know, what's worth it to you? Mm-hmm. Um, so I love that. I love that. I don't know. I think you've always been very introspective. I mm-hmm. think you can. You know yourself pretty well. Thanks. And so it's, uh, <laughs> try to. Yeah. You know, um, I wanted so many people to hear that story because it's it's difficult. It's difficult if you're mm-hmm. you're good at something. You know, you see, you can see the path to success. Right. You know, I think you've even told me before, like, if I was single, if I was still out in LA, like, I could do it. 
right? I, I know I could, mm-hmm. but it's just not where my head's at right now. Right. So I love that. So talk me through like the process of, you know, you, you're kind of in the process of figuring this out. Mm-hmm. You're realizing this may not be what I thought it was. Where do you go from there? And how do you, you know, move? One of the reasons why I say the kind of the intangibles of college, and I think the college thing was good, is it did specifically having an MBA. Now I got caught in the trap of everyone who was looking for a job out of college as a young 20 something uh, that's under experienced and overeducated. Mm. Um, yeah. That is a very, at least during that time, again, the end of mid 2016 timeframe, somewhere in there, everybody, like I have, a, I'm a 20 some odd year old kid with an MBA and no work experience. Like all of my job experience is music. It's industry. freelance gigs. And, exactly. Yeah, absolutely. It's like, hey, I'm really good with personalities and people. I'm really good at fitting in with a lot of different groups of people. But how do you put that on a resume? Exactly. 100%. Um, so, I was looking for marketing jobs because that's the creative side of business, in my opinion. You know, the best way is it's again communicating with people in a in a different way. But man, I applied for everything from like insurance adjusting to random marketing stuff to something similar to what I was doing as a cash job, like just anything I could think of. And it got really discouraging. You're getting offers to go do this music stuff and take it to the next level and move on up and do that. And you're telling no to them to get shut down doing something that you think is going to fulfill you more. Mm. Part of, you know, my dad being business, when we grew up, my family was always very open about money. Um, we did not have any money growing up. And I don't mean that in like, a, oh, we couldn't buy things. I mean, we, we had no money. I encourage my dad to write a book. He's a very excellent writer, and I'm going to probably force him to do so when he retires. But writing his story on how to just put your head down and push, like he mm. is one of the hardest workers I've ever met in my entire life. He did it just through like sheer will. But anyway, the the point of that is when we were growing up, all our dinner conversations were structured around business, who we hired, who we fired, why, corporate America. You know, he had me doing my own taxes at 15. Um, And he'd sit there and make me watch him do the taxes, do my taxes. Mm. And then at 16, it's, all right, well, you click, but I'm going to tell you what buttons to click. And then at 17, it's you do it and I'll watch. At 18, you're on your own, you're doing it. So there was a lot of structure in the financial industry yeah. um, through my dad, just in, in kind of how he shared things. So I've always been very familiar with financial topics and really aware of their importance. I've never had any trouble being a good saver. That was you know, kind of what led to the ability to just pick up and move to LA on a whim was between my fiance and I, we had a bunch of savings um, and was able to get in and get apartments just off the bat with putting three months down, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And that really came in handy. I knew I liked people. I knew I'm good with money. Um, So I'd heard about financial advisors and kind of what they did and thought, you know, that's something that I think I'd be interested in. And I knew someone else who was a financial advisor, called him and said, hey, you know, I'm I'm thinking about doing this. What do you think about it? Um, And he told me that he's told every single one of his friends that he doesn't think that any of them could do it. He's like, I think it's way too hard. I don't think you can make it. I don't think it'd be good enough. And he's like, I'll tell you, I think you can do this. Mm. I was like, okay. So I traded one thing for another. You know, a lot of the skills that you gain in the music industry and how you communicate with people and specifically in producing, you know, you got to deal with a lot of different personalities. Absolutely, yeah. And then figure out the way to break through to them to get everyone on the same page to get the best quality product that you can. I do the exact same thing with my clients. Yeah. Um, as a financial advisor, I go through, it's communicating with people in a way that they understand to try and figure out what their ultimate financial goal is and then finding the best way to achieve it. Mm. Um, so it's a lot of 
non-tangibles that translate again. Um, but for whatever reason, everything just kind of lined up. Um, and then that's when I kind of made the transition over from full-time, you know, gig economy to more, I don't know, I struggle to say more consistent because it is not consistent at all <laughs> yeah. when you, when you start, when I started, I made much less money than I made in the music industry. Mm-hmm. Um, I make more money now than I made in the music industry. Again, it, it toys with your mind in trying to figure out who you are and what you're good at and why you're doing it. Um, and for me, I just stayed playing it in the fact of like, it sucks now, but it's going to be great later for my family. Mm. Like, again, I'm going to be gone and I'm going to be busy. And I'm going to be stressed and I'm working with all these different people and there's all kind of pressure. But I know that the reason I'm doing this is so that my wife and I can have kids one day and not worry about it. When you first moved to LA, did you have any idea this would be your the path you took? Not a clue. That said, it wasn't even in the cards at that point, but mm-hmm. you can clearly see now how everything lined up. Yep. Everything like made its way through there. Mm-hmm. I think what sticks out to me most is you, you know, it's something you're good at, mm-hmm. something you're clearly good at, that your skill set lends itself to. Mm-hmm. Um, all that experience got you there. Right. It wasn't just like, you know, I'm going to drop everything and, and right. pivot. It uh-huh. was like, what else is going to get me there? Right. It is the most flexible gig like real job, I'm air quoting, real job yeah. that you can get. Um, that I think with my background and desire for flexibility and having that, um, entrepreneur kind of mindset, like you said, very clearly a path that I can trace back and say, well, if I never moved to LA, I never would have done this. If I had never done, you know, the LA or moved to Dallas, I never would have moved to LA if I'd never, and it goes back and I can trace it back to like elementary school. Everything just stacks on each other to perfectly line up to get us exactly here. Um, so we're just trying to really enjoy being here you know for yeah. for years it's been you're working and striving towards something and i've still got my business goals and we're still working towards things but it doesn't involve moving for once <laughs> like you know it doesn't involve a next city or a new gig or a new person it's just mm. you know perfecting that craft one thing i do want to say you know you complimented me on being good at uh, introspective kind of perception and just being aware of myself um and i've finally kind of formulated a good way to put that into words and kind of my structure in doing that. I call it RIG. It's R-I-G. It's reflect. So look back on anything. It can be a period of time. Mm. It could be a conversation. It could be something you said, something you act, some way you felt. The I stands for identify. Identifying something that went well or something that went poorly. Something that you wish you could have done better. Like, man, I wish I, I'd said something different to this guy. Or, man, I wish I would have done something else. Or, man, I did a really good job of that. I want to make sure I do it again. Um, and the last part is grow um, and trying to make sure that once we've now identified the things that we've kind of reflected upon, how do we use those moving forward to get better? Mm, um, yeah, absolutely. So those three things, that's something that I've done at every phase um, didn't always have that wording for it. You know, it's been the last probably two years that I've put words to it. As I'm talking through, like, you know, what I was feeling in college, it's what have I done? How do I feel about it? Now, where do I want to go? Same thing in LA. What have I done? How do I feel about it? Where do I want to go? Same place where I'm at right now. It's just the my next goal is I got a target that I'm trying to hit by the time I'm 40. So I got yeah. a little bit longer sure. on this one than I got on the next one. So. That definitely lines up with something new I've started, and this is something I it's something I encourage people to do if if they want if it's something that interests you. But mm-hmm. it's something where I essentially sit down at the end of every month and mm-hmm. I reflect on that month. Yeah, and I just say like, what happened? Like, what 
what went well, what didn't, mm-hmm. what um, what goals did I achieve, what goals did I not, and that said, what is my theme and what's my goal for this next month, right? And just looking at it piece by piece, and I think that's that's a big deal to reflect, just because, you know, we forget we just forget all the time we're so right. caught up in the moment or what we're dealing with or the future. We've been a lot of places, especially right. once you're in your twenties. You know, you start to live life. Like I mean, I joked earlier, like how long has it been? Since we've seen each other, it's like I can ask that question now because mm-hmm. time really is kind of a a, a thing. But yeah. it's um, <laughs> but just being able to reflect, being able to learn from your past, um, yeah. it's a big mm-hmm. it's a big step in personal development. If you were talking to somebody who was, I don't necessarily want to say old you, mm-hmm. but somebody in the same spot as you were right. out of college, where you're looking at all your all your options, saying like I want to do this, I know I'm good at it, I want to pursue this, right? What would you encourage them? For one, it's very simple. Just do it. Like it really is. I know me at that point, I need someone to like, just tell me you can like, just go ahead and go do it. And it's so much easier to say that now having done it. But sure. I, I try to remember what it was like when I'm like, man, I don't know. How much is a U-Haul? 1800 bucks. Oh, I don't want to spend 1800 bucks on a U-Haul. No, just do it. Like there's always more money to be made. There's always mm-hmm. more time. Like you're always going to be fine. The next I would say is do your best to try and see what that lifestyle looks like before necessarily jumping wholeheartedly into it. And it's because it's not like I didn't do a good job. You know, maybe just allow yourself that room to grow if that's no longer what you want to do. If it's just you and you only have to look out for yourself, then you're in good shape and there's nothing to worry about. If a value of yours is, you know, the dream of starting a family or anything along those lines or having somebody that you want to be with, I was very fortunate in that my wife was 100% on board. You know, she was she was down to move out. She was very supportive. She never guilted me. She never made me feel bad for living in a crappy little apartment. Like she never got mad at me when I'd be like, "Hey, we can't spend any more money this month. <laughs> like we have no money left. Don't spend anything. I got to get another gig." Um, she never held it. She still doesn't. She doesn't resent me for it. Mm-hmm. Like I had the epitome of the perfect spouse to support me in that. Um, she was down to work a full time job so that we could we could pass just because she was happy to be with me. Like that that is the mm-hmm. ideal partner that you're looking at going into it. So make sure you have that if you're going to take a partner into it. If you don't, you need to kind of have a um, self chat on what you really want to do. I would default to take care of yourself first. Now that I'm married, that is the exact opposite of what I do. Mm -hmm. Um, But before you make that commitment, before you sign that contract and say that, yeah, we're going to stick together, it is, you're you're still kind of on your own, so you need to look out for yourself. One story that I did want to add that I carry with me more than anything else in confirmation that I made the right decision for me. Um, I had an engineering mentor that I met through college. He was a guy that hired me for a bunch of stuff. He taught me everything that I know. I used to call him while I was in LA and be like, here's what I'm trying to do. Uh, why is it giving me a problem? And he would diagnose it over the phone. Like just a really brilliant guy for whatever reason, you know, poured into me a lot. In the back of my mind, I always wanted to do him proud. Like mm. a lot of my motivation was like, man, if I could get this next gig or work with this next big important person, like he's finally going to be proud of me because he'd never told me that he was happy with me or proud of me or anything like that. He'd never given me any kind of affirmation. Like I was never good enough, but it was clear that he liked me more than a lot of other people. And I I don't know why, but that's why I was always confused on why he would never kind of affirm that I was a good engineer. He'd tell me I'm a great drummer, but he would never say anything about the engineering side. He was never impressed ever. And I'm like, man, that was impressive what I just told you. You should have liked that. He would just be like, okay. (laughs) And then like be done and just like the conversation over. 
Um, it's funny because I can hear him saying it too. Uh-huh. And I remember the day that I texted him and I was like, I'm getting out. Like, I'm done. I'm going to hang it up. I'm not going to do it as a career anymore. I'm going to still do it on the side and still enjoy it and help friends with projects, but it's no longer going to be the career. He sent me back a text that said, I'm really proud of you. And mm. I was like, what? <laughs> like, you have spent my, like, the whole time that we've known each other, you have trained me and tried to develop me into being good at this. And I'm telling you that I'm going to stop it. And now you're like, good for you, man. I'm happy. And for me personally, that was affirmation that I made the right decision because he's another guy that has a family. I mean, knows how difficult it can be to have a family in the music industry. Just having that finally from him, it, it shocked me and like caught me way off guard and pissed me off a little bit, honestly, because I was like, I'd done so much stuff trying to get you to tell me that you were proud of me. And then finally me being like, hey, I made the decision that I don't want to do this anymore because, you know, that same thing. I want to focus on family and my wife and be home more. And that was the time that he was like, all right, man, like, good for you. Really proud of that decision. And that was the last person that I would have expected to say that for that reason or even, you know, be proud of that. For me, the reason I wanted to share that is like, one, you don't know what anyone else thinks. And two, to a little bit, it doesn't matter. Like there was nothing that I ever could have done in that job had I been stubborn and stayed at it and kept working it or in that career, in that field to ever get him to be proud of me. It was the one thing that I never would have guessed that it was that finally got his, you know, affirmation and his approval of. And it doesn't necessarily matter. Like it feels good. It does. And I'm, and I'm happy that I finally got it with something, <laughs> but that's more pride and saying like, Hey, I was finally able to get him to say, I'm proud of you. But that is something that I don't know why that has stuck with me the way that it has, hmm. but it gives me confidence in moving forward that it's like, Hey, I really didn't fail. I really didn't do a bad job. And it really doesn't matter what anyone else thinks. You know, I've, I've made the right decision by someone who's far more senior than I and that has seen much more life and much more like... Sure, I mean, somebody who literally lived that. Yeah. Since he was, you know, young. Mm-hmm. And then speak back into me as the young guy that could have done the exact same stuff and say like, no, that like, you're okay. Like, that's that's not a bad thing to think. Um, felt really good. Felt real good. All right, well, Alex, thank you so much for sharing your story. I yeah. think oh, there's a lot to learn from it. I think there's a lot for people to reflect on mm. places they might be very similar to this or similar to where you've been. So I think that's encouraging to hear. I think it's a story that should get highlighted more mm-hmm. of people deciding what's a priority to me? How am I going to make that happen? Mm-hmm. And being on the other side of it saying, hey, I made the right choice. And like right. I'm, I have the fulfillment from that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's great. And I think that's something that a lot of people can learn. And maybe that's the path you take. Maybe it's not. But more perspective, the better. Right. All right. Well, any closing thoughts? Um, I do want to say thanks for having me. You know, I'm really honored that I'm one of the guests that you wanted to have on here to kind of kick this thing off. I think you got really something special here. Um, And I hope that, you know, you and I have kind of talked about this off mic, but um, not a lot of expectations for reaching thousands of people or kind of trying to, you know, have any kind of target. But really, if one person can relate to this, like, I, I feel like, I've done my part in this great project that you're working on. Really looking forward to some of the other stuff that you're going to have in here as well. And I think you got something great going, so I can't wait to hear it. I appreciate it. That's definitely the goal. That's the goal. If one person, one person out there can get something out of this to improve their life mm-hmm. in any way, um, to be more focused, to be more um, poised, to follow what is truly important to them, mm-hmm. that's all that matters. Yeah. That's all that I'm about. So I like it. 
All right, everyone, that was episode three of Crazy Enough. Once again, thank you to everyone joining us. Um, we went into episode three today with over 750 subscribers. That's amazing. Y'all, I'm so humbled by the responses. If you like this episode, please share it. Let me know on social media. I'm at Joey Poor. That's J-O-E-Y-P-O-R-E on Instagram and Twitter. Also, the show is crazyenough.podcast on Instagram. Once again, big shout out to Alex Sherman for joining me on today's episode. Y'all, I really love his story. And one other thing I want to point out is that just because you may pivot away from a trajectory, it doesn't mean you can't pivot back one day. Our priorities change. What we value changes. But as long as you have a center to come back to so that you keep a healthy perspective, you're going to be okay. Keep working, keep learning, keep dreaming. Until next time.